But this morning, Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him with the criminal, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garment. The people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. He's the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's fire the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, be with Pastor Bob as he teaches us about this passage. For Lord, we are the sinners. We deserve to hang on a cross because we are so guilty. And yet, it's through Jesus' work that we are saved. And Lord, this is so beautiful. And be with Pastor Bob as he preaches and teaches us of the beauty of your work on the cross. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Three things from our particular passage this morning. First of all, the man's sin. Secondly, the man's repentance. And thirdly, the man's salvation. His sin, his repentance, and his salvation. His sin is rather easy to cover. One, we know that he was conceived in sin. Those ladies who were at the conference might think, that's the same thing you said about Drusilla yesterday. Well, it's the same thing we can say about every human being that has ever been conceived. David told us in Psalm 51 verse 5, In sin did my mother conceive me. We are sinners from our very conception on. So was this man. It's true of all humanity as Paul reflects in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So he was a sinner conceived in sin. Secondly, the text tells us that he's a lawbreaker. In particular, he is a criminal. That's the way Luke describes these two. If you look at other texts, for example, in Matthew chapter 27, uh, Matthew reports to us that these two men are, are not just lawbreakers, they're not just criminals, but specifically, they are men who are robbers. They are thieves. They have broken 
the law. And it's interesting the way that the gospel writers tell us this. This is not they were charged with being criminals or they were charged with being robbers. They were. The gospel writers are telling us this, this is not a, some inact of injustice. This is not some mistake. Uh, sometimes we, we are told that somewhere around 90% of the people who are in prison believe they're innocent. Well, such is not the case of these two men and of this man in particular. He is a thief. Exactly what he has done, we don't know. The, the scriptures don't go into detail other than letting us know of his crime and of his guilt. But he is also a reviver, reviler. If you go back to that Matthew 27 passage where we were last Lord's Day, you, you'll recall that they too, both of these men, and, and Matthew points it out, that, that both of these thieves, both of these criminals, are reviling Christ. In other words, both of them begin with the same thing that the one thief report is reported on here. Of this mockery, of this sneering, of this, come on, save us. Come on, you're supposed to be the Messiah. You're the one who is supposed to come and save people. You, you healed people. Why can't you have enough power to heal yourself? Both, this man included. So we have not only the fact that this man is a sinner, we know he is a lawbreaker, but he is also a blasphemer. Hanging within a few feet of Christ, he engages in the same type of sneer, of accusation, of challenges, This is the man's sin. But as we follow the account down in Luke's gospel in the 23rd chapter here, we find that this man repents. Now it would be easy for us to, to just go on and say, isn't this wonderful how this man turned to Christ in his last moment? Yes, it is. But that's not the account. And that's not the way salvation works, is it? We know that none of us in our own hearts, none of us by our own wills, chooses Christ. It's really not true that any one of us ever makes a decision to follow Christ. It's that Christ has chosen us. It's that Christ calls us. And you say, well, where is that happening in this passage? Look back to what has transpired. We start at verse 32. We learn that they are crucified. And as the nails are going in, as the nails are being driven, there is a word that comes from the mouth of Jesus. Father, 
forgive them, for they know not what they do. As those soldiers are gathered at the foot of the cross, hey, let's not tear this garment, let's cast lots. There is a, a sound coming forth from the cross, from the mouth of Jesus. Words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The bypassers come by with their taunts. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The chief priests, with their sneers, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The soldiers, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The two men on either side, with their constant barrage, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, what precedes the man's repentance is this man heard the call of Christ. In the Greek, that bears it out, that, that this phrase that Jesus is using, Father, forgive them, is a phrase that is not just uttered once. It puts it in a tense that says, this was repeated over and over and over by Jesus. See, I'm not putting something into the text. That's what the text is telling us. Somewhere over the course of time, as they're hanging upon this cross with this constant prayer coming from the mouth of Jesus, in spite of his circumstances, in spite of his situation, that prayer that Jesus is offering sincerely to the Father is heard by the Father. And here we have before us the very first answer to prayer. Father, forgive them. And the answer is Jesus. Remember me. But follow it through. He not only heard this call of Christ, because that's what it is. This is the gospel that Christ is preaching from the cross. Because you see, in those words, Father, forgive. Note, one, there is a condemnation, isn't there, from Christ. People need forgiveness. Why? Because they're sinners. Who needs? The bypassers need forgiveness. The religious leaders need forgiveness. The soldiers need forgiveness. These two thieves need forgiveness. But there comes the grace. Father, forgive them. So he's heard the gospel. Now, now what, what do we believe happens next? In this order of salvation, after, after someone has heard the gospel, not only with their ears, but now with their heart, what happens? When you hear the gospel with your heart and with the ears of your soul, we could say, you repent. What does this man do? He recognized his sin. Go with me to verses 40 and 41. But the other rebuked him. The one thief rebukes the other thief. 
saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. No, he recognizes his sin. And he does two things. One, he acknowledges his own guilt. We are hanging here justly. In other words, I am a sinner. As a sinner, I deserve to die because of my sin. The wages of sin is death. I am here justly. I am a thief. I am a robber. I am a criminal. I am dying for my crime. I am here justly. I was one who was reviling the Son of God. I was blaspheming. I deserve to die. It is just. I am a sinner. But he not only admits he's a sinner, he stops sinning. See, the other thief continues on with the barrage. Somewhere in the midst of this, hearing the call of the gospel, this thief, by the work of the Spirit in his heart and in his life, is giving pause. He's reflecting. He's thinking, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm a sinner. I am here justly. I can't continue on with this. I can't continue to speak against this Son of God. I cannot continue to speak against Jesus. And when the other thief continues, he says, stop. I'm not participating in your sin any longer. I'm not going along with your words. And you too need to cease and be silent. Consider our guilt. See, that's part of repentance, isn't it? That's what it is. It's not only an acknowledgement of sin, it's a turning from that sin. And that is what this man is doing. But he not only confesses his sin, he not only turns from his sin, he confesses Christ. He turns to Christ. What am I going to do with the fact that I'm a sinner? Hey, somebody run to the temple a minute. Please, please, find some of my family members. Please, in these last moments of life, please find a family member. Purchase a turtle dove, purchase a pigeon, purchase a Passover lamb. Please go, offer it to the priest for my sin. What does he do? Does he say, Lord, I've been such a sinner, but Lord, you know, I only was a thief three or four times. That means there were a whole bunch of days I was living according to the law and I wasn't a thief. Save me because of all the good days when I didn't steal anything. Lord, it's only been one hour or more that, that I've been cursing this man next to me. Lord, think of all the hours I didn't curse him. See, he's not fleeing to himself. He's not fleeing to the law. He's turning to Christ. That's what repentance is. You turn from your sin 
and you flee to Christ. Note three things about this man's turning to Christ. He confesses. His confession. This man is innocent. Now think of the depth of this man's theological understanding of that which he is saying. This man is innocent. This man has no guilt. Well, why does this man, why is this thief saying Jesus has no guilt? Well, he might be looking at the situation and saying, well, here he is hanging on a cross and we got all these people mocking him and crucifying him and he's not letting out expletives. He's not dropping nasty words. He's not calling out curses upon them. He's innocent. True enough. But it runs deeper than that, doesn't it? There is no crime. He is hanging here unjustly. He was condemned to die for violating the law. But he has violated no law. See, if, if you just take away the fact, okay, so he's not saying anything bad about anybody there and he's dying. But he's a criminal. He, he tried to subvert the government. He deserves to die. No, this man is saying he is innocent. He has committed no crime. His confession. But it runs deeper than that, doesn't it? To say that a person is not guilty, to say that a person is innocent, goes way deep into Scripture, doesn't it? And says, this man is not even a sinner. Well, who could it be that has no sin? This can only be God. See, we get just kind of say, oh, yeah, yeah, he made a statement, you know, the thief made nice words. No, this, this, is, this is theological. And you say, well, how did he get that? Remember, this guy isn't doing this on his own, is he? This isn't his will suddenly being transformed by his own strength, by his own power. This is the Holy Spirit. These words are coming out as spirit revelation. This is what the Spirit is causing this man to say. This is what happens in a person that the Spirit has caused to be born again. He understands the significance of Christ, of his innocence, of his sinlessness. But it's not only that confession, it's that plea. Remember me. Remember me. What a humble request. Lord, I, it, it's not like James and John, right, who say to Jesus, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, could we have positions, one on your right and one on your left? Could you give us some authority in the kingdom? 
And those were his disciples. And Jesus has to condemn their arrogance. This man doesn't say, hey, can I have a position of power? Can I have a position of authority? Can I have an ambassadorship? All he wants is for Jesus to simply remember him. Just know my name. That's all I need is for Jesus to remember me. You know, we get so carried away, do we not, in our world and in our society about, as Christians even, what's glory going to be like? What's it going to be? How happy are we going to be? Man, folks, I'm going to just rejoice if Jesus remembers me. That's enough. But do you notice what he prefaced this with? Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. When he's born, you give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, remember me. You who are the one who saves from sin. You who are the one whose name means salvation. You remember me. Humbly. Looking to Christ. Looking to Jesus. For his salvation. But notice also his hope. When you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is going to die in a matter of hours. This guy knows that the Jews aren't going to let these people stay alive overnight. Sooner or later, their legs are going to be broke and they're going to die if they're not dead beforehand. He knows that. Think of the place. See, his hope is not a wish. Christians don't wish. Christians have hope, and hope is a certainty. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us in Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. This man can't see Because of death that's coming upon him. But this man sees spiritually far greater, far greater than many. How is Jesus going to remember him if Jesus is dead? How is Jesus going to remember him and come into his kingdom when Jesus is dead? See, this man believes. This man has hope. This man has faith that this is not the end. That there is more yet to come. This man, you see, has been born again. And we know that. We know that. 
because of three things. One, we know it from the Psalms. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. How do we know that this man is saved? I'm going to give you three reasons. One, from the Psalm. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Can't you just see this man hanging on the cross in that picture? See, this, these words are not about Jesus. Because look at the next verse. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The Holy Spirit put into the mind and heart of David to pen words in this psalm that reflect not only David's own personal experience, reflect not only your and my experience, but reflect the experience of this thief. When I acknowledge my sin to you, you forgave me. This man was saved. We also know it, do we not, because of the gospel. The assurance that the gospel brings. Acts chapter 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Does this man believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. What does that mean? He will be saved. why we can sing with all that enthusiasm there is a fountain filled with blood and there have I as vile as he and my sins all washed away why because the promise of the gospel is this believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved but this man this man has an even greater assurance doesn't he once again, the Savior's mouth is open. Not with a father forgive them. Not with a father forgive him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh, think of that blessed assurance those words brought. Man, I'm not just going to remember you. You are going to be with me. Note the way in which Jesus says this. Today. Not the, not the Catholic version in which I say to you today. That's not the grammatical way this sentence is put together. Oh, they want to make it that so they can get their purgatory worked into this statement. Which has nothing to do with that. If that were true, then Jesus himself had to go to purgatory. Why? What happens in purgatory? You get sins purged. Why does Jesus need to go to purgatory with this man? He has no sins to be purged. It makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't make sense theologically. It doesn't make sense grammatically. Today, today, 
What does that mean? That by 6 p.m., this man was going to be with Christ in paradise. Oh, the assurance. Not someday in the future. Not some long-term time. Man, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to remember you. Not in a long distance. It's today, my friend. Today, at the moment of your death, you will be with me in paradise. Think of the statement of fact Jesus is making. You will be. The statement of fact of the psalmist. If you confess your sins, he will forgive. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus' assurance to this man is you will be. Not might be, not could be, not should be. Not maybe. You will be with me in paradise. And you will be with me where Christ is. John 17, 24, Jesus is praying and he says, Oh, Father, that they could be with me, with you. Paul, in writing in Philippians, says, oh, You know, to, to live here is wonderful. But to be with Christ is the greater joy. That's what this man experienced by 6 p.m. that day. He was with Christ in paradise. The garden of the king. That's what paradise is. The garden of the king. It's that which we, we, we think of perhaps when we think of Eden. But actually, the reference is more to Revelation chapter 2, where we see once again the paradise of God and the tree of life. That's where this man is going to be. He is going to be with Christ in the garden of God. With God in glory. This is this man's blessing. This is this man's assurance. And that same assurance, that same word, comes to you. When we hear the call of the gospel, and our hearts are born again by the work of the Holy Spirit, then here comes the assurance. Today, If this is the day of your death, today, you will be with me in paradise. But if not, then know this. You will be saved and your sin has already been forgiven. And God's people say, Father, thank you for your word, for its beautiful reminder of the work of faith you wrought in this man's heart and the wonderful response of Christ, that assurance of salvation. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. And God's people say,